I can, I can safely say this to start off our time in looking into the Word together today, that there is a lot of uncertainty in this world today. Would you agree with me? A lot of things are uncertain. Uncertain, you know, I listen to the news and I hear, you know, depending on which side of the political aisle you hear, that there's uncertainty about businesses wanting to invest and to hire because they don't know what's going to happen with taxation and, and who's going to be the next president and who will be the next senators and, and all this stuff. And there's, there's uncertainty in the, political, in the political realm. There's uncertainty in, in everywhere. You know, our, our embassies, you know, are, are being attacked. And uh, we say, you know, that we just don't know what's going to happen next. Uncertainty is so, so strong that, that as I talk with parents at times and people contemplating having children, that I, that I hear them say, I'm not even sure I want to bring children into this world. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty in our, in our world today. Um, but here's what I want you to understand today. There's some things that are very certain. Although there's a lot of uncertainty, and sometimes I think we make a mistake of focusing on all the things that are uncertain, there's a lot of things that are very certain. And we can stand upon them. And the reason I can say they're certain is because God says they're certain. And we're going to talk about some of that stuff today. That, that God says certain things are certain. And when God says it's for sure, when God says it's certain, guess what? It's certain. You don't have to question it. Now, one of the things that is for certain is that um, one day, every single one of us will breathe their last breath. Every single one of us, right? Pretty certain? It's about a 100% um, success rate in that one right now. Um, participation is high. That one day, every person will breathe their last breath, and then in some type of a service, you will be remembered, and you'll be buried, or you'll be cremated and put in an urn and set on the mantle, or something, and uh, you will have some type of a monument a tombstone or a, um, a plaque, something remembering you, you know, with your name on it. You know, and a, a lot of people want to believe that that's where the certainty of life ends. That that's the most certain thing. And that when that happens, the final certainty of life is over, that we are all born, that we all live, and we all die, and those are the real certainties of life. Now, some people like to add, and paying taxes is a certainty of life. But um, we know for sure, I know a few, couple of people who have, haven't done that, and so uh, I know for sure you're all born, you all live, and we all die. And that, that, that those things are the certainties of life. However, there are some certainties of life that go beyond the graveyard. And they're just as certain as death is, but they're maybe harder to believe because we can't, or we can say at least we haven't really seen them. We're just told about them from God in His Word. You know, these other, these other certainties are, are this, and there's two of them I want to point out. That number one, after we die, we'll all be resurrected. It's a certainty. And that, secondly, after we're resurrected, we'll all have a living eternity. A living existence. Now, these realities have often been more difficult for people to believe than death is because we see people die and we go to the graveyard and we watch them um, lowered into the ground. We watch as, 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 as we see them for the last time and we saw that's for certain, but, but resurrected to eternal life. We can't see that or at least we haven't seen that. And maybe that's why some people have wrestled with the idea of people being resurrected. 
why some people have wrestled with the idea of, of eternal life. Well, one day, Jesus was talking to a group of people like that. He was talking to a group of people who just didn't wrestle with the idea of resurrection, that they flat out denied the possibility that anybody would ever be resurrected. In fact, they rejected anything supernatural. They denied the existence of angels because they were supernatural. They denied the existence of spirits because they were supernatural. They denied the resurrection because it would have to be supernatural, and if it was supernatural, it was beyond their natural realm, and they just couldn't see it, and they said couldn't touch it, so they just couldn't believe it. Anybody know from Scripture what that group was called? People who didn't believe in the resurrection, didn't believe in the supernatural? The Sadducees. You know, remember that? You know, they're sad, you see, because they didn't believe in a resurrection. The Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. You've heard that before, some of you, I know that. Um, maybe that was just how I remembered it in Bible college or something for a test. But um, who were they? Who are these Sadducee peoples? They were sad because they didn't believe in the resurrection. They were religious Jews. They were Jewish people who did not reject God. Matter of fact, they were leaders who read the Old Testament. They, they read the writings about the Old Testament. They believed it to be true, but yet they rejected anything supernaturally, which to me is an incredibly interesting jump, because how do you be not believe in the supernatural, but you believe in a supernatural God? I don't understand that. Well, one day, Jesus um, encountered these people, and one day they tried to um, disprove Jesus' belief in the resurrection. And what they really tried to do is they tried to make Jesus look bad, or maybe, really, they tried to make Jesus look foolish. Because history says the Sadducees were kind of a, a small sect, and they're rather arrogant and full of themselves, and they thought they had all the answers, and they kind of laughed at everybody else who would believe in things so foolish as a supernatural. Sounds kind of like most secular college campuses today. You know, they just thought they were a little better than everybody, a little smarter. And so they have an encounter with Jesus one day, and they want to try to make him look foolish. And I want to look at that encounter. And so, what book would we turn to? <laughs> Mark! If you're visiting with us, we've been in Mark for a little while. Most of 2012 has been in the Gospel of Mark. However, we have taken rabbit trails, right? And you've got to say, God has been blessing us in the Gospel of Mark. So, uh... So the Gospel of Mark, the uh, 12th chapter, again, if you're visiting, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, kind of just section by section, for a while. We're getting near the end. So Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 18. Let's read, this. Let's read this encounter. It says, Some Sadducees who say that there is no resurrection came to Jesus and began questioning Him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves behind a wife and leaves no child, his brother should marry the wife and raise up children to his brother. And there were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died, leaving no children. And the second one married her and died, leaving behind no children, and the third likewise. And so all seven left no children. Last of all, the woman died also. Then the resurrection, when they rise again, which one's wife will she be? For all seven had married her. And Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason that you are mistaken? That you do not understand the Scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are they given in marriage, but they are like the angels in heaven. But regarding the fact that the dead rise again, have you not read in the book of Moses, 
in the passage about the burning bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are greatly mistaken. Now, here's what was really going on that day. The Sadducees thought they could logically disprove that people will be resurrected by creating this hypothetical situation about a lady marrying seven different brothers. And it says in the story that each brother married her after the other brother died. And he created this hypothetical situation based on an ancient Jewish custom called Leverite marriage where a brother was told by Moses in ancient customs to marry his childless widowed sister-in-law in order to do something very important for them back then to keep the family line going and maybe more important for them to keep the property in the family name. And so they were trying to keep this from causing problems and chaos because the, 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 the money and the land had to stay in the name. So they had this Leverite marriage policy that if your brother died and, and your sister-in-law didn't have any children, that brother should then marry that sister and raise up children. Well, the Sadducees thought that the situation um, that they just described made a real resurrection look impossible. Not only that, they thought it made a resurrection look incredibly foolish. Because once resurrected, all seven brothers would each want the same wife. Or I'm wondering if the other wasn't true. They each said, we all died with her, we had no children. That they, None of them wanted to get stuck with her for eternity, is what they were maybe really saying. And they're saying, which one gets her in the end? And I'm not sure which side of the fence they came down on on that. But either way, they thought they made a conundrum, this situation that could not be figured out or fixed. And therefore, just the logic of that would say there couldn't possibly be a resurrection. Well, Jesus quickly debunked their argument by showing that they, he said two things. Number one, they either, they didn't understand the word of God, and they didn't understand the power of God. He says that there indeed is a resurrection, because God is the God of the living. He was, and when he said to Moses the burning bush, he said, I am the God of these living spirits of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who had long been dead. And he's saying, I am the God of the living spiritual people, so I'm not, was the God I am the God of them. And that in the resurrection, he says, relationships will be so changed that institutions like marriage will not exist and they will not even matter. You know, on that day, this group of Sadducees, who I think were more Sadducee after meeting with Jesus that day, they tried to make Jesus look foolish. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, I didn't plan on saying that, so forgive me. Um, tried to make Jesus look foolish. Um, but that day, he made them look foolish. And he really was proving to them that life doesn't end at the grave. Now, this story to me rises or raises up a question in me, and I want it to raise up a question in you. And it's maybe a question a little different than you would have thought, but I think as I, as I share this with you, you're going to say, that's, a, that's something that, that deserves contemplation. And the question that this story raises in my mind is this, why did Jesus take the time to disprove their false ideas about the resurrection rather than just letting them believe whatever they wanted, and then saying, well, they'll find out the truth in the end. He didn't confront every single person's wrong ideas. Why, at this time, did he, did he take upon himself to say, I've got to deal with this? And, and look at verse 28. We stopped at verse 27. But look at verse 28. It's a verse that we looked at um, for the last two weeks, because we kind of jumped backwards here. Verse 28 is the beginning of the next section. And look what it says here. It says, one day, one of the scribes heard them arguing 
and recognized that he had answered them well and asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? We looked at that the last two weeks. But look at that. The beginning, the ending of the story is verse 28, where they're talking about it, and they're not just talking about it, they're arguing about it. Jesus and the Sadducees are arguing about it, and Jesus is saying, no, you're wrong, because God's a God of the living, and here's how I can prove it to you. And you say, well, why is it important? I think it's important because I don't see many times in Scripture where Jesus sat around arguing with people. Can you think about them? Jesus didn't usually sit around arguing with people. He, didn't, he just made his point or, and, and said what he had to say. But here we find him arguing with a group of Sadducees to prove a point about the resurrection. Why? Why is he so passionate about having the, to make this point and, and prove this point on this topic? And I think this is why. It's because getting this wrong isn't just sad. Getting this wrong isn't just a mistake. Getting this wrong is eternal and it's unchangeable. That's why he went, to, he went toe-to-toe with these Sadducees who were respected by some people and therefore followed by a lot of people and influencing people and he couldn't let that go on. Because their position was wrong and that wrong position wasn't just sad but it created a situation where there was unchangeable eternal consequences in the lives of people and Jesus couldn't tolerate that. Because Jesus knows about some certainties. He knows that it's certain that we'll all die. And we all know that. But he also knows that it's certain that all people will be resurrected. And he also knows that it's certain that all resurrected people will have a living eternity, either in heaven or in hell. So whether it's the Sadducees of 2,000 years ago, or it's more modern people of today, he needs us to understand that there is a real resurrection. And that after that resurrection, there's real living eternity, either in heaven or in hell. And he wants them to know that, but he wants us to know that. He wants us in our culture to understand that, because we've had through, through a long process of time, at times, not even really believe that's true. Who remembers the guy, and this is, predates me, but I remember growing up hearing about it from my dad, because he was a fan of the guy, the actor James Dean. Anybody know who James Dean is? Remember the saying he was famous for? Live fast, die young, and make a beautiful corpse. And he did that. He accomplished that in his life. He lived fast, he died young, and he made a good-looking corpse. But that was the motto he lived by. It was a motto that he, that he made famous in the 1950s, and, and it affected a lot of people. And, and it wasn't original with him, probably, but that kind of idea that there really can't be anything after this. He's just a, a modern-day Sadducee. Live fast, die young, and make a beautiful corpse. Because it obviously, making a beautiful corpse says it all ends at the grave. But friends, not believing in an eternity. Just thinking that life is all there is and when you see a tombstone someday with your name on it means that's the end. Just believing that does not make eternity any less true. And Jesus wanted them to know and He wants us to know we will all be resurrected and we'll all have a living eternity. And for us with the privilege of New Testament perspective, the reality of a resurrected eternal life is maybe easier for us to believe than those Sadducees because we have eyewitness accounts of Jesus' resurrection, which serves as a model of what will happen to us. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Listen to this account of eyewitnesses, starting in verse 3. You there? 1 Corinthians. One of those sections of your Bible you want to have marked. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 3, down to verse 8, says this. 
The Apostle Paul is writing this. He said, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Jesus, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and to the Twelve, and after that He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. That He appeared to James, then to all the Apostles, And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. The eyewitness account that says this, hundreds of people saw Jesus alive after the resurrection. And the Apostle Paul himself wrote this here. He says, and I was an eyewitness to the fact, I am an eyewitness, he said, to the fact that he is alive, that the resurrection is real. And and Paul goes on to explain that the reality of Jesus' resurrection reveals that all people will also be resurrected. Look a little further in chapter 15, over to verse 20. It says, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. In my Bible, the word all is underlined. Do you guys do that? You underline stuff and circle stuff? At some point I read that and they said, Wow all will be made alive. You see, what's it saying? Because Jesus rose from the dead, conquering death. Now all mankind will also rise from the dead. All people are eternal beings with eternal spirits. All people. And a day is coming when all people will be resurrected. And friends, what we need to understand is that that is not the end, just being resurrected. That's the beginning. The certainty of death is real. The certainty of the resurrection is real. But that resurrection is a resurrection to something. It's a resurrection to a beginning. And we'll all be resurrected to an eternal existence. And for some, that eternal existence will be a glorious eternity in the presence of God Himself in heaven. That's what the Bible says. But the Bible also says that for some, that eternal existence will be a horrible eternity apart from God in hell. The Bible says there's no other option. There's not a plan C. It's A or B. And in the scriptures, Jesus told about that day when the resurrected people, that that real reality of a certainty that after you die, you're resurrected, but then after you're resurrected, that then there's the next step of a living existence somewhere. Jesus told about that day when the resurrected people will be separated to an eternal destination. In Matthew chapter 25, and let's look at that together this morning. Turn your Bibles. I know we're looking at a lot of verses today, but on some topics, I'd rather just let the Bible talk to you instead of me just doing a lot of commentary. So Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. Let's read the story about resurrected people then being separated. Verse 31 says, But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne... And all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. And then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed of My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, 
When did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And then he answered, will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of these least of these, you did not do it to me. There, they, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You know, here... Jesus is telling us about a day, a day that's not here yet, a day that's yet to come, where all the resurrected people will be separated to their eternal destinies. He says, those on my right, to heaven. Those on my left, to hell. Friends, this is the ultimate certainty. Death is a certainty. The resurrection is a certainty. But this is the ultimate certainty. Its reality was a thing that fueled Jesus' passion. The certainty of it is why Jesus couldn't let the Sadducees on their own, why He couldn't just say, okay, just believe what you want to believe. He couldn't let it on their own. It's fueled His passion because He knew that denying the resurrection and eternal life would not make it any less real. He knew that each of those Sadducees would be resurrected to eternal existence. And so He argued with them so that they would face the truth and find eternal life with God while there was time and while there was opportunity. Now, I hope that those of us who have been around these last couple of weeks looking at Mark chapter 12 are making a connection in your mind right now between the story read in Matthew 25 and Mark chapter 12. See, in Matthew 25, Jesus uses as a certainty of eternal life a criteria for separating people into sheep and goats. He says the sheep are the ones who go to heaven, the goats are the ones who go to hell. And the criteria that he uses was what? It's what they did and didn't do to help the poor and the hurting. And what we've been seeing the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at Mark chapter 12, is that doing these things, loving your neighbor as yourself, is how he followed up with this in the next couple of verses. That's, 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 that's what it was. Loving your neighbor as yourself or in our words in our church, being people who care, is an outflow of, a loving, of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. See, because Jesus is number one in your life, then you will care for others. And that's what Jesus is identifying here in Matthew 25. He's saying, because you love me first place, then you'll love your neighbor as yourself. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, then you will help hurting people and needy people around you. That's what he's identifying people. One, one's true love for God is revealed by their service and their sacrifice to other people. And friends, he says, and that is what determines where these two eternal destinies will be. If one really loves God first, 
then they will care for others as a natural outflow. Then they will be resurrected, it says, to eternal life with Christ. But a life lived for self, where Jesus really isn't in first place, here's the reality of that life. A life lived for self doesn't even notice the needs around them. That's what he was saying in Matthew 25. He said, when did we see you sick? When did we see you hurting? When did we see all these things? They didn't even notice the needs around them. A life lived for self doesn't even notice the needs around them. It leads to a resurrection to eternal damnation apart from Christ. Friends, this is the ultimate certainty. This is the ultimate reality. And friends, I, wanna, I want to give you a gift today. Would you pop up that slide? Here's my gift for you today. I wish I could have done it that I could have just said your name here. But I want it to be a real tombstone of a real person who's really buried under the ground. And here's my gift to you from God's Word today. That every time we look at a tombstone, I want us to ask ourselves the ultimate question. What's next for you after they inscribe your name on a tombstone? What's next for you? We know that's a certainty of life. We all, we all are fine with that. We're not fine with it, maybe, but we all know it's a certainty. But what the Sadducees didn't get is that your name inscribed on a tombstone wasn't the end. That the last final date on there, it's born dash died. And we say that's the end. But that's not really the end, it's the beginning. And I want every tombstone to be a, a gift to us that asks, causes us to ask ourselves the most important question on the planet. What's next for me after they inscribe my name on a tombstone? Well, I want to close with the greatest promise probably that Jesus has ever given about this. This is what Jesus said. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And you know what? We quote that often, but you know what the next um, four words are in that text from John eleven twenty five? It says this. It says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And do you know what Jesus said after that period right there? And he wrote another sentence. He said this. Do you believe this? Look it up later in, in John eleven twenty five. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. But then he said this, Do you believe this? That's the question that Jesus asks. That's the question that every tombstone and every graveyard should cause us to ask. Do we believe what Jesus said? Or are we kind of really like the Sadducees and we really don't believe it? We might say we do, but we really don't. We live our lives like James Dean that says, live fast, die young, and make a beautiful corpse. Because really I'm not so certain about what's to come. Really I don't know that there is something. You know, they're going to bury me and it's, it's all over. No, it's not. See, friends, as, as followers of Christ, we have a great hope. A great hope, eternal life with Jesus. No person need face eternal destruction because Jesus wants to give us eternal life in Him forever. That's what His promise is. That's what His plan is for every single person ever born on the face of the earth, that that could be their destiny if they chose to walk with Him. But what I want us to do, friends, is to do some real soul-searching and examine our lives by the criteria that Jesus used. Matthew 25, He said, here's how you can know. He said, are you helping the poor and the needy? Are you visiting the destitute? Are you, are you taking care of the sick? Are you doing all these things that, that show 
externally that something is real internally. And that's what he's trying to point, he's trying to get at. He's saying, I'm going to give you a criteria. Not that if you go out today and run around and do a bunch of good works, it means everything's right on the inside. But rather, that if, something, if it's all right on the inside, you will, the natural outflow is you, we will be people who care. We will be people who care for our neighbors. We'll be people who care. And no one's going to have to point, tap you on the shoulder and say, do you see that need? Because we care, we give. We're going to fill bins and bins up with food for City on a Hill. Why? Do you know any person who's going to receive it? No. I don't. But Jesus said you did it to the least of these. And these friends in our culture are the least of these. They're the ones who have absolutely no hope. They, have, they, have, they don't even have the basic necessities of life. And why would anybody, why would anybody care to, to bring food and put it in a bin and take it to people that are strangers? Why? Because if I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I will love my neighbor as myself. I'll be a person who cares. So we can do some, we can do some soul searching and examine our lives by the criteria that Jesus used. Because one who loves him was a person who cares. And then it will be a person who feeds the hungry and helps the hurting. You know, a person who cares looks to the ultimate certainty. And says, you know what? A resurrected eternal existence with Jesus is something I can't wait for. You know what? That's what he, that's what he promises us. That we can live our lives knowing that that, that certainty leads to the next certainty of being resurrected, and that certainty leads to the next one. That I can know that I'm going to serve Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm going to live for it with Him for eternity. And that He's going to do great things through me while I'm alive, while I still have air in my lungs, this side of the tomb. Friends, He's given us a great hope. And not one person, not one person, not one of your relatives, not one of your neighbors, it's not one of God's plan for any of them to perish. And He uses us to do great things of service to them, to help them come into relationship with Him. You know what? And maybe you're here today and you say, I've never, I've never come into that relationship with Jesus. You know what? Jesus gave you that promise. He is a resurrection of life. And if you believe in Him, you can have eternal life. You believe, what's it mean? You put all your trust in Him. He becomes the core of your existence and everything else is something orbiting on the outside your job, your family, your recreation, that's all second place. Jesus is your core. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's pray together as we close. Father, we thank you that, Lord, there are some certainties and the reason we can know they're certain is because you said so. That, Lord, we're not sitting here talking today about some book that was written by some person about an experience that they had saying there was eternal life or there wasn't eternal life. We're not talking about some person's opinion that says, well, I don't see any proof of it. The grave is the end. We're not listening to the, to the motto of, a, of an actor in the 50s who said, live fast, die young, and make a beautiful corpse. Rather, God... We're looking to your word. And we're looking at the most certain things. And what we see from your word is it is certain that someday we all die. Someday we'll all be resurrected. And then we'll be separated. Heaven or hell. Based upon our love for you, our walk with you, and the, re- and the proof of it is how we lived our lives day in and day out. Not selfishly, but selflessly. Because we became like Jesus, who is our Savior and our Lord. 
And we thank you for that. And God, sometimes when we walk with you for a while, we tend to forget this and we tend to get in such a rut of just doing the same old thing and our hearts get hard. And today I pray, God, that the kind of the shaking of us by thinking about the fact that someday in the future our name will be written on a tombstone, that that gift of that, of that truth would shake us up a little bit. Not in fear, but causing us, Lord, to look at our own lives and just say, do I see the evidence, the evidence of a life in Christ that you say will be lived out then selflessly helping the needy, the needy and the hurting?